This is Luke chapter 24 and um, verse 5 and 6. Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. I want to preach from the subject, the glorious gospel. The glorious gospel. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that your word has power. I thank you that your word can change us. I pray now, Holy Spirit, that you would speak clearly. I pray that you would speak powerfully. I thank you for every person that's in the room today, that no one is here by accident, whether uh, it's our first time to ever be in church, maybe it's our first time in a long time, maybe we come every week, no matter where we are on the journey. I thank you for the good news of Jesus. And I thank you that this word would draw all of us closer to you. Speak now in Jesus' name. Glorious gospel, the apostle Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. The word gospel means good news. The gospel means an announcement of good news. This was a common term in the first century in the Greek language. Uh, you would use this term like as a wedding invitation. It would be the gospel of the newlyweds, and it would be an announcement of good news that they're getting married. Maybe uh, an installment of a new leader into political office, the announcement of a pregnancy, or for us in 2019, a gender reveal party, and it's the gospel of this good news. It's, it's the good news of whatever. So the wedding invitation of me and my wife all those years ago would have been the gospel of Jabin and Shannon. It was our good news that we were expressing. Well, the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ is the announcement that God came to earth, lived a sinless life, died for our sins, rose from the grave and offers us the free gift of salvation. And our response to this gospel is believing that what Jesus did for us is enough, trusting him to save us from our sins and joyously giving Jesus our lives in surrender to his lordship. And if you have ever thought, what does the gospel mean besides good news? You might want to take a picture of that because that's a pretty in-depth description of the gospel of Jesus Christ. This day happened for me on June 10th, 1998. I was 15 years old in Del Rio, Texas. And on that day, I heard the gospel for the first time. Now I had heard it hundreds of times. I'm born and raised in church. I uh, I've, been in, I've been in church since I was an infant. I, I, I would play under the church chairs while my parents were in service. I, I've, I've been in church my whole life, but it was on June 10th, 1998 that I, that I heard the gospel with my heart, that my spirit came alive to the preaching. I don't really remember what the preacher talked about. I couldn't tell you much about the service. What I do remember is knowing that Jesus loved me. I knew God had a plan for me. I knew that eternity was real. I knew that I needed something beyond myself. And in that moment as a 15-year-old kid, I gave my life to Jesus. I heard the gospel. I responded 
to the gospel. I gave my life to Jesus, and now 21 years later, I've never been the same. He changed my life. He transformed me. He saved me, and he set me free. And what he did for me, he's done for hundreds of people in this room. And what he's done for us, he can do for you tonight. Jesus is a savior. Jesus brings good news. This message is not bad news. This message is not just okay news. This message is good news that God loves you. God has a plan for your life and God will forgive you of your sin and your shame. Can you say amen to that? And so I want to give you three truths about this glorious gospel. Number one, Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you. Not one amen, because it's like, oh, we know that. Not like a wow. Not, uh, Keith was telling me last week, he's a guy in our church, and he, got, he found Jesus here, and God's changed his life. And Keith said, I noticed that everyone says so good when you're preaching. Did you like teach them to say that? I said, no, I didn't teach them. It's just, I don't know why, I don't even know where we get that, but people, you know, you preach it so good, so good, so good. I don't know where we got that. I don't know, I don't know where that comes from. But uh, yes, you millennials. But, uh, but, but you know, when I say Jesus loves you, I didn't get one wow. I didn't get so good. Yes. I didn't get a yes. I didn't get a yes with an A. I didn't, no one wrote, nothing wrote, no one wrote down that, no. No one went, oh, I need to Instagram that. Jesus loves me. No one. And, and here's why, because they tell us that there's this thing called the lullaby effect. When you've heard something so much, you lose the power of it. And so you've just heard it since you were a kid. You've just heard it forever. Someone at some point in your life has told you Jesus loves you. And so you don't really know what that means anymore. And it kind of loses the power of it. I just want you to know Jesus loves you. Like this is good news. It's radically different than anything you will hear in any other religion. God doesn't just deal with you. You're not a necessary evil to God. You're not an ends to a means to God. You, you are the end to God. He loves you. He, he loves you. The, the whole point is a relationship. He wants a relationship with you. Jesus loves you. Dr. A.W. Tozer, a great theologian who's an incredible author, by the way, if you're looking for Christian books, just Google A.W. Tozer. But Tozer said this, what you think about when you think about God is the most important thing about you. I just want you to leave that up for a moment. What you think about when you think about God is the most important thing about you. Because what you think about when you think about God is shaping what you think about when you think about you. What you think about your neighbor, what you think about your future. What you think about when you think about God is shaping your response to pain and your response to trouble. You, you have to believe that God loves you because when circumstances come against you and when life is painful or when life is really good, you have got to know that there is a God who is for you, a God who is with you, and a God who loves you. Jesus loves you. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So loved. An emphatic 
sentence, a, an over-the-top expression. God doesn't just love you. He so loves you. And this word agape, this Greek word for love, is a warm love. It's a tender love. It's a family kind of love. It's the way that a father would love their child like a mother would love their baby. This is, a, this is an endearing love. This isn't I, I love you because I have to love you because it's the right thing to do. It's a, it's a I, there's no other response that I can have towards you except to love you. God so loves you. This is radically different than the first century message of the Greek gods of the Roman Empire with a lightning bolt in their hand. This is not the lifelong journey towards a God, hoping to do enough good things to one day get to God. No, this is radically different. While religion tells us we must get to God, the gospel declares God got to us. That we cannot do enough, be good enough, try hard enough, search long enough to find God so God in Christ, full of love and mercy, came to us, Romans 5, 8, but God demonstrates his love for us in this. This is how God demonstrates his love for you. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You know, Jabin, I'm back in church on this Easter Sunday. I really want to like clean up my life and I got a lot of things I want to work on. And then in the next few months or maybe by next Easter, I want to give my life to God. No, 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 it doesn't work that way. You don't clean yourself up to get to God. It's actually impossible. Jesus loves sinners. And the good news is, and the reality is, we are sinners. You can receive that love. Jesus loves you, number two. Jesus died for you. 1 Corinthians 15.3, Christ died for our sins. In Genesis chapter 3, God creates Adam and Eve, and he says, guys, this whole garden is yours. This, this garden, you got to think about it, it was massive. It's, it's hard to put it into terms, and it's, it's hard to describe this theologically, but basically wherever Adam and Eve went, the Garden of Eden went with them. So God's original intent is that Adam and Eve, as they uh, procreated and as the humanity grew, the garden would grow until the whole earth was covered in this garden. That was God's intent. I mean, it was an amazing place. They had authority over the animals on the land, the birds in the air, the fish of the sea. I mean, can you just imagine this? Like have dominion over tigers and lions and and whales and sharks. And, you know, just Adam is swimming around with a great white, you know what I mean? Like, this is pretty amazing. They, they have all the food they could ever eat. They're, they're naked and unashamed, which means their bodies were rocking. Come on, somebody. Like, I mean, life was good. And, God, and basically, God gave them two jobs. He was like, have babies and take care of the garden. It's a pretty good day. <laughs> Praise the Lord. And so, and, and, but then God says, but, but I don't want robots, but I want robots. So I'm going to put a tree in the middle. Don't touch it. It's mine. I want to make sure you remember that I'm God and true love only works with choice. So I'm going to put choice in the middle of the garden so that you will always know 
that true love requires choice. And so true love requires temptation on some level. It requires choice on some level. And, and he said, and if you eat from that tree, if you sin, you will die. Well, when they ate from the tree, they didn't die. They didn't die for a very long time. But when they ate from the tree, they released sin and death in the earth. They, they released something in the earth. And here's what's crazy about it. Genesis 3, they ate a piece of fruit. That's a sin. But I mean, come on, it's eating a piece of fruit. And by the way, God forgave them. God clothed them. God covered them. God loved them. By Genesis 4, Cain kills Abel. And within a few chapters, you've got murder, rape, greed, lust, violence. You've got lying. You've got, I mean, it's like, it, it goes from zero to a hundred really quick, y'all. You know what I'm saying? Like, I mean, how did we get here? Because sin always leads to death. So Jesus died for your sins. Jesus did not die on the cross to appease an angry father. Jesus did not die on the cross to save you from the father. Jesus died on the cross, John 17, to reveal the love of the father. See, this is not God the Father and God the Son playing good cop, bad cop. And Jesus is the good cop and Jesus is the nice part of the Trinity and he's the sweet one, but don't mess with God Almighty. No, 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 no. Jesus died on the cross to show you where sin always leads, to show you that sin has an ultimate price tag. And Jesus died on the cross so you would not have to die in your sins. That though our decisions can bring so much pain and death, he would rather die than see us die in our sins. So he paid the ultimate price on the middle cross, pushing us out of the way so that we could be forgiven. This is 2 Corinthians 5.21. For our sake, for your sake, he, Jesus, Think about this. Made him to be sin who knew no sin. The perfect one became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. The guilty went free, the innocent condemned to die. If you'll read your Bible, you'll find out that on the day of this crucifixion, Jesus wasn't supposed to die. Now, obviously, in the ultimate plan of God, he was. But my point is, is that there was a man scheduled for that middle cross. His name was Barabbas. He was a murderer. He was a, he was a, re, a rebel of Rome. And Barabbas was on death row, scheduled to die on that middle cross. But the people shouted, we want Barabbas. Give us Barabbas and crucify Jesus. Think about it. The murderer, the guilty, went free. The innocent condemned to die. I don't know what your mom and dad named you, but I just want to tell you, you is Barabbas. 
I am Barabbas. You are Barabbas. We are Barabbas. And it should have been us on the middle tree. But Jesus said, I will die for you. I will die as you. I will die in your place. I will do what you couldn't do because even if we died for our sin, it would not be enough because we've already sinned. And so the sacrifice wouldn't be enough. So Jesus died our death. Jesus lived the life we could never live. Jesus paid the price we could never pay. Jesus conquered an enemy we could never conquer to give us something we could never earn. And when it should have been you and it should have been me on the cross, Jesus pushes Barabbas out of the way and the innocent is guilty. And the guilty becomes innocent. The cross is the ultimate expression of love. It's the day that Jesus said, I love you this much. Now, I've heard preachers say that Jesus died so you could live, but let me go a little bit further. Jesus actually died so you can die. (laughs) I got some nervous, all right. All right, preach, preacher. What you going to say about that? Didn't you just say Jesus died so that we wouldn't have to die? No, no, no. He, he died so we wouldn't have to die in our sin. But, but he died so that our old life could die. You go give me Bible. I would love to. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. My old identity has been co-crucified with Messiah. When Jesus died, you died. What's good news? When Jesus died, addiction died. When Jesus died, abuse died. When Jesus died, anger died. When Jesus died, lust died. When Jesus died, greed died. When Jesus died, I died. I no longer live for the nails of his cross crucified me with him. And now the essence of this new life is no longer mine for the anointed one lives his life through me. We live in union as one. My new life is empowered by faith of the son of God who loves me so much that he gave himself for me and dispenses his life into mine. Oh friend, I might look like the old me but I'm not the old me because the day that I said, Jesus, forgive me of my sin and be Lord of my life. The day I placed my faith in Christ, the old Jabin died on that day. And now a new life is springing forth. Christ now lives in me and through me. When you give your life to Christ, that alcoholic dies, that violence dies, that lust dies, that pride dies, that greed dies, that insecurity dies, that fear dies. When Jesus died, we get to die. We don't have to carry all that old life with us forever. And when the devil tries to bring it up in your life, you just tell the devil, he dead. She's dead, R-I-P. That life is over. Don't bring it up again. By the way, this is why baptism is so important. You go, are you plugging baptism? Absolutely. 
This is why baptism is so important. I don't know if you've ever, has anyone ever seen water baptism? The way we do it, we do it where you are immersed underwater, right? So we don't sprinkle. No, no, no. But you know what? Like other people sprinkle, we don't do the sprinkles. <laughs> Am I doing it? Is that why it's funny? We don't sprinkle. <laughs> One day we're going to sprinkle just for fun, just because I feel it. We don't sprinkle. We, we immerse because it, it's, it's in the immersion that you go under the water and, and what it signifies is your old life is dying. And, and in that moment, you are connecting your life to the death of Jesus. And then you go into the ground, as it were, and then you're raised into new life. And it's a sign to God. It's a sign to the devil. It's a sign to yourself. It's a sign to the world. I died. And now I've been raised into new life. It's so critical. It's so important. Jesus died for you one more. Jesus, he rose again for you. Jesus rose again for you. The Lord's calling you right now. He's calling you right now. Amen. Praise the Lord. Praise God. Hallelujah. I'm too ADD. I'm too ADD. Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Now, let me just tell you something. I got nothing better to preach than that. So if you're waiting for a moment to shout, that's your shout right here. Jesus is alive forevermore. And because he lives, we live. Bill Gaither said, because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. And I know he holds the future. And life is worth the living just because he lives. Our faith doesn't end on Friday. People have criticized Christianity and said we are a bloody religion But I think they say that because too many Christians focus too much on Friday and they forget Jesus ain't on the cross anymore and Jesus is not in the tomb anymore. Jesus rose from the dead and now because he lives, we live. Jesus died so you can die, but Jesus lives so you can live. He's alive. We are not a religion of death. We are in a living relationship with a living Savior. He's alive. He's alive forevermore. And because he lives, we now live. Romans 8 tells us that the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead will quicken our mortal bodies as well. He is alive. Because he's alive, we live. Because he's alive, even when these physical bodies die, we live forever. You can't kill a Christian. Today in Sri Lanka, there was an attack on a church and over 200 Christians died. 
their earth suits died. But the Bible says, absent from the body, present with the Lord. So we say like 1 Corinthians 15, oh death, where is your sting grave? Where is your victory? Even in death we win, we can't lose. Thanks be unto God who always causes us to triumph in his name. Because he lives, we live. And we grieve with our brothers and we grieve with our sisters who today are literally experiencing hell on earth, but we don't grieve without hope. We know that when they breathed their last breath here, there was a celebration on the other side. And I promise you they were so grateful that they followed Jesus. But why do we look for the living among the dead? That's what the women did. They went on the third day back to the burial grounds to see Jesus and he wasn't there. He, he's, he's risen just like he said. They should have known he wasn't going to be there. But they were in denial that he was even going to go to the cross. So they were especially in denial that he would be raised to life. So they went there to honor his body and he wasn't there. They were looking for the right thing in the wrong place. That's really what sin is. It's looking for the right thing in the wrong place. It's, it's trying to find in the temporal what you can only find in the eternal. It's looking for peace, joy, happiness, contentment in all the wrong places. So Ecclesiastes chapter 3 verse 11 says, God has placed eternity in our hearts. The late great Reverend Billy Graham would say it like this. There's this God-shaped hole, chasm in our heart that only the creator can fill. But we try to fill it with so many other things. It's like our little Goldie when she would play with these puzzles and she'd have to put the square in the square. And the triangle, and any parents in here, can I get a witness? And the circle, and the circle. And did you ever watch your kids struggle because they had the square and they're trying to put it in the triangle and they just couldn't figure it out and they just couldn't. <laughs> and it's cute when they're two. But what happens when you're 30 and you just can't figure out why isn't this working? Doctors tell us the reason that cocaine, for instance, is so addicting is because the first high is so good. The first high is so high, and your body from that moment craves that high. But you can never get there again, so you take more and more and more. But it's a picture of every addiction. It's a picture of every substance. It's a picture, it's a picture of sin that we're trying to find something in something that is temporal. But your heart will always be homesick until it finds its creator. 
They're not going to find it in a substance. You're not going to find it in another sexual encounter. You're not going to find it in more money. You're not going to find it in a certain brand of vehicle or a certain brand of clothing or in a certain zip code. Or You're, you're not going to find it in those things. You're not going to find it in a certain level of social media status. Only way you find it is in Jesus. And all that other stuff, it comes and it goes. But when you chase it, it will destroy you. Why are you looking for the living among the dead? Why are you looking for an eternal thing in a temporal thing? It's what the woman at the well in John chapter 4, this woman's drinking water and Jesus says, you're going to drink that water and you're going to be thirsty again. But I offer you living water. And if you'll drink of this living water, you'll never thirst again. That's what Jesus offers. That's what Jesus is offering tonight, living water. So you don't have to live from experience to experience to experience from high to high, from rush to rush. You live in the finished work of that living water. So I end with this scripture out of the book of Revelation. Jesus says, I'm knocking at the door of your heart. When I say heart, I'm not talking about this thing in here. I'm talking about the core of who you are. One theologian said, your heart is where your soul and your spirit intersect. It's the deepest part of who you are. It's the real you, not your earth suit. It's the real you. And Jesus says, I knock on the door of your heart, of your inner man. And he said, would you let me in? And then I love what he says next, because he doesn't say, he doesn't say, let me in. I got to clean you up. I, let me in. I got I to gotta change some things in your life. Let me in. I know about all those skeletons in your closet. Let me in. No, no, no. Jesus says something so cool. I love it in the old King James. Just how I remember learning it as a child. He said, let me in. I want to sup with you. Dine with you. I want to have a meal with you. It's like Jesus is so confident in his own goodness. Just give me a couple of minutes over an In-N-Out burger. <laughs> and I will change who you are. Huh. Just give me a couple of minutes. Well, J Jesus, I got I to gotta clean up before I let you in. He already knows the mess. <laughs> Anybody have that one room that no one can go into when they come to visit your house? Oh, I feel Jesus, huh? Because it's the one room that you hide all the crap in so that when people walk in your house, you go, oh, welcome to my house. It's so clean, but they don't know that that door is barely... And Jesus goes, I know about that room too. <laughs> and I just want to come in. <laughs> just let me 
in. No one knows you better than Jesus. And no one loves you more. Well, that's good news. Because it's, it's not how we can even act towards each other. Because we got to come in here, praise the Lord. We come in here in our Sunday best. We come in here, I hope, showered, brushing our teeth. We did our hair. We look good. We smell good. We looking nice. We're doing good. Oh, are you doing? I'm doing great. I'm doing good. Because you got to put your best. You, when, you, when you take a selfie on the gram, you don't do it like this. <laughs> Angles. You come up here and you get it all right. And you cover stuff and details and you and then you airbrush and then you clean up and then you filter and then you post just me it ain't just you there's like 40 layers over just you but Jesus he love you like this Because he knows every angle. He knows all the junk. And he says, let's eat. Let's eat. Jesus loves you. Jesus died for you. Jesus rose again.